1: Lock Hope, Radio.
0: From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics, aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to today's program. Uh, As always, uh, always exciting that uh, the first Monday of every month we have our educators panel, and that is precisely uh, what we're going to do today. I know that we are going to be missing Basel today. I'm also sorry to report that this is the last uh, educators panel Until the summer, until after the summer, Um, which is always sad, but school is out during the summer, and um, we don't do this program over the summer anyways. So this is the last um, educators panel of the year. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't call in. Just because it's the educators panel does not mean you shouldn't call in. Uh, If you do want to call in, that number is 646 727 Nine one um if you've got a question for the panel, uh something about how you're trying to do collaborative problem solving in your school and something you'd like to know about how collaborative problem solving was done to work better in theirs, um do call that number once again, six four six seven two seven two six nine one and um, I know that we have two of our panel members on the phone already we have. Alicia calling from upstate New York, and we have Kate calling from upstate New York as well. Welcome to the program, both of you.
1: Hello. Hi. Thank you.
0: You bet. And we now have uh, Tom calling from Freeport, Maine as well. Tom, how are you today?
2: Good, Ross. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So, uh, you know, I always start this program um, by uh, asking our panel members if um, they have a hot topic for today. And so uh, I do have a topic. If you all don't have a hot topic, but if you all have a hot topic, we'll start there first. Uh, Any things that you all have come across in the collaborative problem-solving territories um, here on our last educators panel of the year until, well, of the school year, we'll start up again in the fall. Any top hop, hot topics? Anybody want to throw into the hopper for us to begin with today? I think not. <laughs> I don't. Uh,
1: I don't have anything at my end. This is I'm Ken.
0: good. Uh, okay. Um, then I would like to end our uh, year this year with our educators panel um, by bringing up. Two topics. One we've visited already, but it's one that I know the folks at Anytown High School are beginning to struggle with. Um, and just for those who are unfamiliar, Anytown High School is the school that I work with whenever I'm not doing an educators panel. Um, and they're learning how to do collaborative problem solving live on this program every week, and um, it's been a blast and a, a very a nice resource for any school that is trying to learn how to do collaborative problem solving. Um, good to listen to another school going through the same process. But um, the staff at any town are starting to wonder about time, time, and where they're going to find the time to do this. Because what happens when a school is first beginning to implement collaborative problem solving is you've got a bunch of students whose unsolved problems have piled up over time have gone unsolved over time and um feels like it's overwhelming because not only that there's a lot of students who have unsolved problems because they've gone unsolved the the big pile of unsolved problems for each of them and not only that once you start getting into some of those unsolved problems early on you find out that there are unsolved problems within unsolved problems and that sometimes causes people to start feeling overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the task at hand. And I'm sorry to report that it sometimes causes people to say, we can't do this, and they throw in the towel. Um, So let me turn this over to our educators panel first. I do have another uh, topic, and that is how we prepare our school for next year, at the end of this year, for the collaborative problem solving we hope to do four months from now when the kids come back. But let's let's save that one. How have you all, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before in this program, but how have you all handled the time problem um, and managing it so that people aren't, I mean, we want people recognizing that there are problems to be solved, but we don't want them feeling so overwhelmed that they feel like the sheer magnitude of the task is greater than what they could ever pull off. What do you all think?
2: I think the key is to have a plan. And the plan needs to be based on um, the building, the resources in the building, the uh, the students that you serve, and um, the current level of skill or ability of the staff with the collaborative problem-solving model. So the plan may change over time. People become more skilled, they need less support, so you may not plan as much time for support in the learning curve um, later on in implementation, but early on you may build in more time for support in the learning curve. And I think it's also important to talk about engaging whatever kind of student support team is going on, running in the building. So for us it's called the student assistance team. For them to be a part of collaborative problem solving and to have all of the paperwork and conversations that's kind of where we're at now is getting that up and running. So it's important to have consistent conversations using the same lens and the same same uh, uh, process to continue to grow uh, people's skill with CPS.
1: Tom, so you're
2: it, saying that well, – well, go ahead.
1: I was going to ask. I, I think it was you that said uh, a few times back something that I just – I really liked a lot. Was it you that said as um, – Administrators, if there's a problem in the class that you go and will watch the class and allow the teacher then have that time,
2: um well, what we said is that yeah, I mean there there I think it just comes down to having a a relationship between the staff, the administration, and any resources in the building to to make collaborative problem solving a priority, mm-hmm. so if there's a problem with the student, the teacher needs time to sit with the kid and talk to them quality time. And so I think we have to work. Uh, I have grade-level teams. They could work on it together. Uh, We have the whole building. Or if somebody's really stuck, I could come and take the class. I mean, it's just a matter of of setting up a system for communicating what the needs are and then finding a way to meet the needs. Could be a variety of ways to meet the needs Mm -hmm. of having time to do CPS.
0: But, you know, Tom, it sounds like you're – Saying that what the plan looks like is going to differ depending on where a school is at in the process, yes, one of the things that sometimes happens, people are oriented to collaborative problem solving, come to recognize that a student is that that they're, that the challenging students in their building are lacking crucial cognitive skills and have large piles of unsolved problems and then, having come to that awareness, um, I find that people want to Jump in and fix it all at once but and then they are overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of the task at hand. I guess mm-hmm. my question is any recommendations for a school that is just coming to the awareness that their challenging students are lacking skills and have large numbers of unsolved problems when it comes to how do you manage all that to get the ball rolling um, even though you're not know you're not going to be able to fix everybody at once or do plan B with everybody at once without people feeling so overwhelmed that they throw in the towel because it feels like a a mountain that's too tall to climb?
2: Well, I think the the key is to if you can build, if you can get people to see that that small successes, Ross, is the simple answer, small successes. So if somebody learns about the model, learns how to use the model, does some collaborative problem solving and gets some results, they get excited about it, and then they can can kind of grow their skills through seeing results. I think that the key is to get the skills of the individual high enough or strong enough so that they get some results, and then they get excited about it, and then they want to keep doing it, and it becomes less overwhelming. And I think one of the keys is to explain that as you start working with children, you're going to find some things out that might surprise you, and and you have to be ready for Prepare pre-teaching the teachers to be ready for what, that the kid might have a lot going on, and also having a system in the building to support it. So the teacher comes to our student assistance team, and they receive support as an adult. The goal is for them to receive support, and we're better at it sometimes than others because it's a new group in our school, but but overall the goal is to support the teacher in making tough decisions too and figuring out how to sort out so, so that they're, they're not, you know, you support the skills, but you also want to support the process,
3: I think, too, it's about reminding teachers that just like we can't solve everything, if we're looking at a child, because I know a lot of times, Ross, and you say it's just like teaching kids reading or math or a content area. We would never just, just you know, overload ourselves or overwhelm ourselves with too many things that the child needs. We would... Um, diagnose and think about what does this child really need first what's one thing that i can work on with them and let's try to get that going before we before we try to add anything else on and and maybe it's one of your um obviously your most challenging your most challenging child so that you're not feeling like i can't do this this is too much it's too i'm too overwhelmed i can't think of enough time but if you do it slowly and you think of it like you approach taking kids reading or math, and then it becomes second nature because it's something that we're already doing, such as the teaching. So then the conversation can be, conversation can start there, even if you just start with, hey, what's going on or what's up?
0: I guess the big question is, now that we realize that what we've been doing isn't exactly the thing to be doing and we're now taking a look at our data and we're now looking at all the kids who need our help but in a different way than what we've been doing all along how do we stay patient while we're getting good at this so that we don't feel like that's a mountain that's too tall to climb
3: Well, I think one of the the easiest thing to do is find some like-minded people. I mean, I'm in a building where I can't say the entire building is under the collaborative problem-solving method, but I know that I've looped with these these students that I've had since kindergarten. It's something that I've been doing since then and continue to do now. I'm working with their parents. I have some teachers that I co-teach with in my building, and I'm constantly – Collaborating with them as a support system help me help me with this because I can't I I can't take this on all by myself and and I have a tendency to see you know I want to solve I want to still solve all of the problems and have it all worked on and have it running by Tuesday that would be good um, it just doesn't seem to go that way so you, my support system continues to remind me that the best thing that I can do is to be patient. And like I'm patient with my students who are reading or writing and they're growing and they're continuing to develop, they're going to continue to develop these skills that I am going to constantly be teaching them. So it's really about switching your mindset and self-talking. And for me, finding a support group that I can use in my building that will help me remember those things when it starts getting too overwhelming for me. hmm
0: Tom or Kate, want to weigh in?
2: I think that's really important. That that, like I said uh, before, the the support uh, the support needs to be on both levels. In learning the skills of CPS, but also in the process of 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 uh, helping the students to to uh, learn the skills that they need. Sometimes I think that the skills need to be when a student needs to learn how to solve problems better or needs to address a lagging skill, uh, they, sometimes it takes lots of adults to do that in different areas, on the playground, in the cafeteria, and that communication between the teacher and the different people that may interact with the student throughout the day is really important as not only for the student but as a support for the teacher so they don't feel like they're in it alone.
0: Now I'm really feeling overwhelmed. Sorry? Communication <laughs> among the different adults who work with the same kid, how do we manage that?
2: Uh, we're using Google Docs at my school. Yeah. Oh, say more. Uh, oh, Google Docs, uh, if you use, usually email programs have some kind of a document that can be assigned to different people to either view or edit the document. And for Google mail users, um, we developed a code for the kids so you'd never know who it's about. And then we allow uh, different people who work with that child to view the document so that they know... The next step for us is putting the ALSUP and the Plan B flowchart into Google Docs so that, that different people in the building can see them mm-hmm. and, and and potentially edit them. We're we going to be taking it one step at a time.
1: I, um, I love what you just said about that because I hadn't thought about putting the ALSUP in there, but um the speech pathologist and I are actually working on the same thing here at our school where if we have similar students in common that we can – have a document going between us and all of the teachers that are working with that student so we can constantly be updating on those skills that we're teaching that overlapped, even if it's just you know prompts, um, something that worked, something that happened during the day, um, because you always rely on hoping you run into people sometimes or oh, I meant to call them, and it just doesn't happen. That's just one really easy way to get that communication and to make sure that the language is the same, that everybody is updated on, you know, if I've worked with something, if I've discovered something in talking with the kid, that for the rest of the day, you know, there are at least five other adults who have access to see what that happens. And it can be just as simple as a quick statement in this little form that we're constantly responding back and forth to.
2: Yeah, and it's great because th- we can have an issue in, in recess on the playground, and then hopefully by one thirty or so, which is not long after our recess, the teacher can see if there was an issue with her class. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that they know, okay, I'm working on this kid. This kid's trying to learn how to use their words when they, the you know tolerance for frustration. Thinking back to the Alstub. um and 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 so the kid on the playground today punched someone. So I need to know that when they come back in the classroom, so that we can continue the work. Because sometimes kids just need to say, hey, you, I heard that this happened on the playground. I'm acknowledging it, mm-hmm. and but I'm letting you know that you got a fresh start right now, so can we start fresh and be cool? You know, just, just that kind of conversation. I, I, we're just trying to tighten that up here. It's really hard to do, though.
3: I know from the classroom, for being a classroom teacher, um, when I, because I'm transporting a lot of my students at the elementary level to the different special area teachers, to the cafeteria and to different things, and I know that I'm trying to take that proactive approach and as we arrive um and the kids sort of funnel into the to their special area, I'm letting the teacher know what that what the vocabulary is. We've been working on this with so and so if you could help me by saying it like this or letting and letting me know how it goes, or if you notice anything that keeps that communication it's quick and it's quick and fast um but it helps me to keep up house on what's going on with the kids in the different areas and also allowing me to see how are they responding with in other areas other than my classroom is working it might be working in my classroom is it working in the other places are they transferring that skill over
0: hmm. so we have a we have a question from one of our emailers um what what should people be thinking to themselves or telling themselves to get them through the hard CPS times? Um, and I would say early on implementing collaborative problem solving is the hardest time. Um, what 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 mindset are we in to get us over the hump early on so we don't throw in the towel? I
1: I like what actually both of uh Tom and Alicia said you really celebrate the approximations because um the great thing about the model is even if at the end of the day you didn't you know teach the skill you are every time that you are spending time with that child and having that collaborative conversation you are building that relationship and you are cr- you know creating the stepping stones putting things in place so that the next time the child will recognize the trust and the relationship, and you might get a little bit further the next time. There's no lost time ever in that collaborative process with a kid. It's all a gain. It's never a loss. We
3: have to agree with that because as you're working, you're also changing your mindset as well, and you're reminding yourself as you're doing this that you're gaining things from it as well. You're changing your mindset. You're changing your vocabulary, and and that's just as difficult as it is, you know, for the child. So maybe it might look as if the child's not getting anything here or there or there's too much to get, but you're actually engaging and participating in it. And like anything else that we do in the classroom, it's important to just be brave and keep moving forward because we know better now. And if we know better, we most certainly cannot go back and do what we know doesn't work.
2: I think it's great. And I think both of those points are excellent. I think the one thing I would say is um, you can't go wrong with empathy. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah, go what, wrong. What with do it. you mean,
0: empathy with the kid or empathy
2: with your with teachers who are trying it? Uh, all the way around. You just. But mostly, I was thinking at the time that I made the statement with kids, because mm-hmm. if you sit down with the kid and you say. I notice that when X, Y, and Z happens to struggle for you, what's up with that? Or I notice that you have a hard time when we're lining up to go outside. What's going on? You're opening the door to connect. And so, if you only get that far, it's always okay to say to the student, "You know what? I'm trying to figure out how to work on solving this problem with you because I want to help. Can I can I just think about it for a little while and I get back to you? And then you have an opportunity to to confer with others. You know, and and because I think the key that keeps it moving forward, is success. for me it's been successes. I saw a dramatic increase in my ability to use this model this fall because I had done it just long enough to get the skills down, and all of a sudden it made things a lot easier for me. Even, even conversations with adults that would have made me very nervous before are way more relaxed, and I, I know that I have a model for thinking about what I'm doing. I'm gonna to listen to them first and wait and wait and wait, and then state my concern when I know the time is right. You just get more, it's, it's just productive for people to communicate that way.
0: Um, Alicia, you made an interesting point. Um, This is no different than learning how to do anything else new in one's classroom. This is on a par with other – I mean, people, um, you know, as I've always said, schools – if there's any setting that I've ever worked with that had more initiatives than any other that I've ever, the one that comes close, nothing comes close to schools in terms of the fact that we ask people to do new things constantly in schools. Um, But um, I think it's an interesting point because, yes, we're asking people to teach reading in a different way. We're asking people to do all kinds of things in different ways. Uh, When this is put into that type of context, Um, this doesn't seem quite so hard. I guess the main difference is that a lot of people who work in classrooms feel like they have the expertise in academic areas. But this behavior stuff, this social-emotional behavioral stuff, um, that is something with which they have less comfort because there's less experience. Um, What about that, though?
1: and I, that that is so true. I think when you're looking at a child who is learning to read, it comes in maybe a little bit more naturally to celebrate the little successes and the little sub you know the sub skills that go along. I have a 4-year-old at home and I can say, "Oh, you know, now she knows, you know, 30 words she can read and look how she picks up a book and look at how she knows the picture clues and there's all those really obvious sub skills that are developing, and when it comes to behavior, oftentimes it's looked at as all or nothing, and people forget to look at the approximations and the little successes. Those are all works in progress. Um, and and maybe that's where the support system that both of you are talking about really can play out, because you can be pointing out to those teachers, but look at the little things that the that the child is doing that sometimes you don't notice because maybe they're still having a meltdown but look at the way they handled themselves in lunch today or you know you can see the skills building sometimes people don't recognize that
2: i think that's a great point and i think it's also really important to recognize that it's very different at a k2 elementary school or a middle school or a high school we have uh um w- the culture of different buildings can be dramatically different. And I think that what we're really discussing right now is supporting collaborative problem-solving, but we're also talking about supporting a shift in the culture, which is the lens that kids do well if they can. And if we can get that lens on for people to to use, um, I think the supportive group, so to speak, that would help somebody with CPS is also supporting maintaining that that lens... Is the right lens? Some staff members can be very rigid, and if they're willing to try out that lens, then we really need to be careful to try to support it and have it succeed so that they keep that, that lens, those those glasses on. I'm sorry, Ross, that felt like a little bit of an odd, it's a very complicated answer. Um, do I need to clarify? Sure. But I think I think basically there are some folks that have a really hard time seeing that kids do well if they can't. And if they're willing to come to the table and talk about this, we really want to be careful to support them in learning about it because it can make a dramatic difference in their life and in the lives of the children that they serve. So I I agree. I I thought your point was very good that, that, um, that, that that group that supports somebody in CPS has to support them as a person in learning this model because a lot of times the folks that would come to the group for support would be the ones who are struggling with their own point of reference for why kids aren't doing well at school behaviorally or academically. I also think it's important to, to, to note that elementary folks know that there's a relationship between academics and behavior. I think sometimes it's been my personal experience that high school and middle some middle school folks have a harder time seeing that connection.
3: I, I can see that because I know um, as a teacher of reading that even in the middle school and the high school, sometimes um, my colleagues forget that they're still they're – still Part, they're still needing to teach the reading aspect of it, not just content of it. So I can see how that would go the same way in many respects as the behavior as the behavior would. This is something that they should have already developed, or this is something that they should already know. I'm, I'm not responsible for that particular piece of it. And down at the elementary school, I hear a lot of, that should be coming from the home. That should be something that mom and dad are doing with them. Yeah. And, my response is the same as the response to teaching to teaching of the academics. We have these children for six hours a day, five days a week. That's longer than mom and dad has. You know, that's a good amount of time to do some real work. And especially in elementary, we have that child for that whole day. We know what's going on. And, and, and if we're in that opportunity to loop with the, with them and get to know The child for even a longer amount of time then we can celebrate we can see where those approximations start to turn into successes for the child and as they move on to the next teacher we can share those things that have worked with with evidence from the last two years that we've spent with them
2: I think the key to that is that that some teachers have a lagging skill that they don't or an unsolved problem would be more accurate they don't know that behavior can be taught and modeled. And that when we set expectations that are clear and we consistently follow through with them, that student behavior improves. They think that it's not up to them because they don't know what to do.
1: I like what you said, too, about the climate um, of the school. I worked once with a principal that uh, required all of the teachers to have this, quote, hanging insight so that we looked at it every day while we were teaching, and it was an anonymous author that said, I am not yet who I will become. And I think that's just a great message when you're teaching any skill. Um, When anybody is feeling overwhelmed, when I've met with parents and they're saying, you know, um, I don't know if he's ever going to get this, and I just say, I am not yet who I will become. It's just step by step by step and it's true for anyone but it's true for someone who's learning the process and who's working at it and it's true to the for the kids that we're teaching it to there's only you can only go up you can only go forward with um the collaborative problem solving process
0: so let let me steer us to for our last 15 minutes of the year not of the program we have 3 any town high school programs left in the year, but this is our last educators panel. Wanna? It's May, uh, and I know that for many people um, the end of the school year is still quite a ways off, but this is the last time we're going to have our educators panel together this school year. Um, any recommendations for how to get a school geared up to hit the ground running with collaborative problem-solving in the fall now any thoughts on that what what do we want to be doing now
2: to make sure that we're hitting the ground running then build a master schedule that allows time for cps make it a priority it's the key can't do it if you can don't have time to do it i guess is the way to go with that um and now that ties in with our
0: first theme of the day
2: but keep going A lot of folks are working on their master schedules right now, and in our conversations about our master schedule, we've made building in time for collaborative problem-solving a priority. Wow. And it looks different in this school than it would look in the next school, but that goes back to the piece about, uh, you know, well, you and I have talked, Ross, about, you know, the commitment of the leadership to this process is really important. I think that can be really challenging for some places. And, uh, um. I don't. I don't know. Just, just important to have a, you know, the leadership team of the school and the principal uh, committed to this will help to build a, a. Just like if you want to build a great band or music program, you have to schedule band and music first, because they it involves all students. If every kid wants to do band, they need to have access to that time with the teacher. And
3: I say as a classroom teacher, as we start to look forward to next year. Um, Scrutinize our, our daily classroom schedules. I know I'm speaking from um, an elementary level and I, I'm with the children for six hours a day in large blocks of time. But I would say to the teachers, scrutinize your schedule. What is their time? And, and we all say, oh, I, I don't have, I can't get rid of that, I have to do this, I have to do that, there's not any time. The truth of the matter is if we sit down and give a a good hard look at it, we can see that there are some places Where we can take things out to make time for to make a better use of our time. You know, what are we doing when? How are we doing this? We do it daily. I know that I do it daily for my academics. And if we just start thinking of behavior, social, and emotional the same way, as equally as important as, then we'll start to find those those pockets of places, and we'll we'll even see things that we can start to maybe. Get rid of and make and make room for things like collaborative problem solving because it has so many skills and so many things for all kids. I know that we talk about challenging kids and I just like to think of it as a way to work with another human being, another individual, a child adult, anyway on that on that spectrum because it's going to give. Uh, people who are going to be members of a community that's going to uh, apply those skills that we're teaching them. And what better thing can we offer our community than than people who can problem solve with each other and for themselves?
0: Kate, any uh, thoughts on
1: that? I don't know if I can top that. That was very well said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to top it if you have (laughs) something to say. We, we gave um, up. I'm just even the thinking about Alicia a long time ago. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I was just thinking when, actually, when Alicia was talking about that, um, I know at the elementary level and probably at the middle and high school level to some degree, kids conference with their teachers daily, probably daily, maybe weekly, on writing. You have a writing conference, you have a reading conference. There's no reason why that couldn't be just incorporated into. You know the language is there. All of that time that you spend one-on-one, um, CPS could just be right part of it.
2: And just like at the high school level, they have, or middle school level, they often have advisor-advisee. A block of time in the day where a small group of students meets with an adult. There's no reason why people couldn't be doing some CPS with that. And people people often forget to, that you can do group CPS. I had a teacher recently try Plan B with a whole class. She just she. She just did what I said at the last show, Ross. She, she ditched A and went for B. And uh, it was great because she, she got a tremendous amount of information from the whole class. It was almost more than she was ready for. She got, I think, naturally a little bit overwhelmed because the kids really, they like her and they trust her and they really opened up to her. And and uh, it was really therapeutic for the whole classroom to talk about, you know, that there were a lot of things going on for the kids that they that they didn't realize that they could – could could say.
0: How's that kid doing?
2: Uh um which one?
0: The one you headed down the
2: A path
0: with, caught yourself,
2: uh, and ended up doing B. I did another B with him the other day with a with the teacher. I we spent about an hour working with him and uh Maybe closer to forty five minutes, but it, it was awesome because he's starting to we're starting to notice that the kids get it that they get to talk first. Mm-hmm. And then they get it that the adults gonna tell share their concern and then they're gonna work on it together. So what I'm learning is that the kids actually can learn the process so we're just gonna teach it to them. Um so to answer your question, he's he's doing much better because we've we realized that he had some lagging skills. And so we worked to figure out some solutions, and we set up he, – he has some, some significant needs, so we set up some supports for him with different people in the building that, that know how to teach him those skills in addition to the teachers, so we worked on it as a whole team. Um, but I think it's really important to, to recognize that I, I learned this year – I'm so excited to learn that I can say to a kid, hey, guys, guess what? This is how it works when we get stuck or if we're having problems. We're going to sit down and talk. I'm going to listen to where you're coming from and, and, and try to figure out what's going on and, and listen to where you're coming from and then I'm going to share what, where I'm coming from and then we're going to work on this together. And you just see their faces. They're like, cool. Who wouldn't sign on for that? Right? You're not being told what to do. You're not feeling bad about yourself. We're saying we're going to work on it together and be a team. So we, we've learned that kind of for little kids, that, that younger kids, that the, the, the language can can be simplified in a way, but they were picking up on the process, and that's what taught us to teach it to them. So I think making it a part of the curriculum would be a good plan for next year.
0: So, Tom, just as it relates to um, your school has been on the collaborative problem-solving highway for the better part of this school year. You came in as a new principal and um, knew that this is a direction that you wanted to take your building. Maybe in the last few minutes that we have here of the program, you can fill us in on what you feel like you accomplished this year and what you still feel like you have yet to go to embed this and solidify it into what's going on in your building.
2: Well, I feel like I've learned that, that um, ch- change is ch- a challenge, as was uh, uh, I think Alicia said earlier in the program, you know, that people – need to have time to learn it and that change is hard and, and I think that um, we started out a uh, few people had read your book and done a book study last year prior to my being hired so I activated them early on having conversations with them I listened to the needs of my staff when I was hired by meeting with them each individually for 30 minutes and they all said that they wanted support for social and emotional issues so I asked them right away to, for everyone to read the book Everyone read the book, and then we started having regular meetings to talk about how to implement collaborative problem solving um, and the barriers that we were coming up with. And we developed a team of people that has just started meeting recently to overcome the hurdles of the management of CPS. So, for example, the Internet, you know, the idea of the, the Google Doc communication or having the SAT be a part of the collaborative problem solving process or identifying team leaders that could be people who support others when they're struggling with cps um so we have this kind of like infrastructure that we're creating to support the culture change but then we also have uh i'm really lucky because i have a great staff and they're really committed to kids already so the lens piece wasn't as much of a challenge in this building but the skill piece is a challenge because as with all schools there's a lot of time that, that that it takes to learn the skills so we set up a 45 minute meeting once a week once every two weeks for each staff member to have 45 minutes in a group of five or six to go over the Plan B process and learn how to do that better. So I think where we're headed next is to to just get all the paperwork set up and and, and ingrained and and to be ready to kick our year off next year. It's like this was the training year, and next year is going to be the big kickoff where we really embrace CPS as a staff um, with, with all of our energy. So and they're all excited to kind of start the year off fresh, and have the process kind of clearer to them so that they can 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 be excited about implementing it.
0: And are there any specific things you're going to be doing next year different than this year
2: to make that happen? Yeah, well, the building of the master schedule, we're building in time every day in some regard or another for teachers to have CPS conversations. Um so I think the the plan B piece will be different, and then the communication is all going to be new. The, the the Google Docs and all that will be all different and new for next year. But I, I wouldn't really change necessarily the way that this year went, and I'm not really anticipating doing anything different. I think we're just going to do more of it and at a deeper level. Got it.
0: Um, Alicia, Kate, any I know that neither of your buildings is doing it Mm building-wide. Any suggestions for what an individual would be doing perhaps for the rest of this school year or over the summer to hit the ground running for collaborative problem solving next year?
1: I would, uh, for myself, even um, just talking with the parents to make sure that they remember the language and there, the carryover is there, just like I would with any other um, you know, strategies that I would teach that we practice here at school to make sure that the parents are remembering to follow through with that over the summer so that um, there's continued practice and day one isn't like you know starting way back at the beginning again.
0: Alicia, anything?
3: I would say um, I, I do a unit at the end of the year making a plan for my reading life um, with my students in order to keep us engaged in reading and writing over the summertime and, and what's going to be next for me. And I, I would say I'm along the same lines um, as Kate, I would do that with with my parents. I would, especially those children who I've been working, who have some of the most challenging behavior, I, I've been sharing with those, those parents and maybe looking for three things that we really did successful. We were really successful with, or one thing that we were really successful with, and just continue that through the summer so that when the next school year starts, that could be one skill that has been that they feel comfortable with and it's not something that's brand new. So when they start off with a new teacher possibly, that's one thing they'll have that they can feel safe and and comfortable with.
0: Sounds good to me. We always get... Great insights and guidance from our educators panel. Um, I want to thank the three of you for being such a wonderful part of the panel. I have learned a lot from all three of you, and I'm sure that the people who listen to this program weekly, as many people do, have gotten a lot out of it as well. So uh, you all have, of course, an open invitation to do this again next year. We're going to see if we can fill out the educators panel Uh, With a few more people next year, I'm going to do my best to get our friend in Surrey, British Columbia, to join us on a monthly basis as well. She was fabulous. But any last parting words in our last one minute of the educators panel for this school year? Any of you? Have a great summer.
3: Be brave and, and continue forward with it.
0: Kate, you got to come up with something better than that. I know gotta, you guys are. We got to top Alicia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Tom, I don't know. It's all right. The pressure's on. I don't a lot. know. It's just been. You know what? It's been such a great experience. I um, I just want to keep reading and brush up so that next fall I can sound as great as everybody else on the panel.
2: Oh no, you've been wonderful. <laughs> no, Thank I, you so much. I've learned yeah. a lot.
1: I'd like,
0: Maybe I'd you like... should hang out a little with Alicia this summer, and you know. Who knows?
1: Yeah.
2: Thank you all for doing Go to the beach and have fun. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Enjoy the summer rejuvenate. Thank you for allowing um, me to be part of the program. It's been great.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Thank you all. Talk to you next school year. I'll be back with another collaborative problem solving at school next week with Anytown High School. Talk to you then.